Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. I get asked all the time, I get asked all the time, uh, so what do you do? You know, like most of you, you get asked that question. I think we live in, in the Western world. Maybe this is everywhere, but, but a lot of our identity does get attached to what we do, right? And um, that's not what the Bible teaches, but unfortunately, that's the way that we as humans, that's the way we, we work. And so people always ask, what do you do? What do you do? What you, what you do says a lot about who you are. And so, uh, but the crazy thing is like, I'm different from most of you. I don't know if most of you aren't pastors in here. Um, I don't think. Um, you may have the, the grace or the gift of pastoring, but uh, you, have, uh, you have a different job probably. But I get asked all the time, what do you do? And in San Francisco, it's a little bit different from being in the South. And I grew up in the South. In the South, if you say you're a pastor, they go, oh, praise God. How are you, brother? You know, they get all spiritual. And, you know, it's like they were just cursing like crazy. And then they find out I'm a pastor. And it's like they just sound so righteous and they're just different. And they're, you know, it's just so weird. Uh, in San Francisco, I am not lying when I say this. When people ask me, what do I do? And I say, well, actually, uh, I'm a pastor. They look at me like I'm an alien. It is the weirdest thing. I mean, you would think that I literally said, I'm, I'm actually from outer space and I live in your neighborhood. That's, that's, this is a suit that I'm wearing. I'm actually an alien on the inside of this. You would think that that's, that's what I, I'm telling them. But I do, I get asked, like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And in San Francisco, it's, it's unique because some people, they don't even know what that is. They're like, well, a pastor? What, what is that? What do you do? So then I have to kind of break it down for them and explain it to them. But the easiest job description I could say as a pastor is this, is uh, I just lead and feed people, right? I'm, I'm a leader and a feeder, right? Uh, that's what uh, the word pastor comes from pasture. It's what shepherd. In scripture, you see um, pastors would be like a shepherd leading sheep. You know, the Bible says that all of us, we are like sheep. Um, turn to your neighbor and just go, bah, don't do that. That's weird. That is just weird. Don't do that. That is the weirdest thing. Sheep, we're all sheep, you know. Um, but pastors, they just lead and feed. In the same way shepherds lead sheep and they feed sheep, they bring them to areas of grass where it's green and, and lush and they let them feed there. So they lead and feed. So my job description is that I lead and feed people in this life. My primary job is that Hopefully you come here on the weekends and you get fed a little bit. We feed you God's word, not my opinions, not, not, not just some ideas, but that you get fed the word of God. That's why we share from scriptures. Um, but also that, that I lead you and I, I lead you. And, and what I mean by that is this, is that there's a level of leadership where I'm equipping you and preparing you. The Bible says in Ephesians to do ministry. You know that my job description is not actually to do ministry, but it's to prepare you and to equip you so that you can do ministry in the world that you live in. That's what Ephesians says, that my job is. So it's to lead you, it's to feed you, it's to prepare you, it's to equip you, and that's for this life. But the other part of my job description is actually not just to prepare you for this life, but, but to prepare you for the life after this life. That, that's part of what my job description is. It's not just to, just to kind of give you some good talks and so you can have your best life now and you can just enjoy right now, but it's actually to equip you and to prepare you for eternity, for the day when you will stand before, before your creator. And you may or may not believe that that day will happen. You may think that you'll just cease to exist. Um, but the Bible teaches on the topic of eternity that we will all live somewhere 
for eternity. Um, but, but the challenge is, is that oftentimes we don't really think about it. At least I don't think about it. You may be way more saved than me. But I, I'm just, I just don't think about eternity all the time. And, and I thought about that this week. Like, why is that? And I think it could be, you know, my, my life's not perfect. But I think that it could be because I have it really good. And you have it really good. Like, we, we have a pretty good life. Even if you, you have a bad diagnosis, we still, we, we have a pretty good life. I mean, if you look at the blessings in our life, and I think the problem is, is that sometimes we can be so blessed, we can have so many possessions and so many things that we can become enamored by this life, and we forget about the life that is to come. I love this prayer that I memorized years ago. It's, it's by Sir Francis Drake. It says, disturb us, O Lord, when we're too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little. But then I want to put this on the screen. It says this phrase, France, Sir Francis Drake said, disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. That is Jesus. It says, having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity, and in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of a new heaven to dim. What is he saying? He's saying that our possessions and our abundance and our blessing, if we're not careful, it can actually become our curse because we can become so enamored and fixed on this life that we forget about the life that is to come. Um, Philippians, the apostle Paul said it like this, and I read this, I started not to, to share this because it's so heavy, this scripture, but it really convicted me this week. Paul wrote this to the Philippians, the Philippian church. He says, for I've told you often before, like we've talked about this before, Paul says. So, so Paul would talk about heaven and eternity and the brevity of life. He would talk about it often. He said, we've talked about this before, and I say it again, but this time with tears in my eyes, like this has moved me to the point of tears. He says that there are many whose conduct, the way that they live this life, it shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. He says they, have, they, they are headed for destruction, he says. This, this is so heavy. This is like some of you are like, I thought I was coming for good news today. It's coming. It's coming, I promise. He says they're heading for dis destruction. He says this, their God is actually their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. But he says this, but we, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are, look at this, we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Let me ask you this question because I pondered this this week. How often do, do you find yourself eagerly awaiting for Jesus to either return and to take you with him and to establish you in his kingdom forever? Or are you eagerly awaiting? And this may even sound morbid, but just like, do you think about like, man, when I die, I'm going to get to stand before Jesus and be there. Like, when's the last time you thought about that? Because I thought about that this week. I thought, I don't know when the last time I thought about like Jesus returning and me thinking, yes, I can't wait. I, I don't know about you, but this, this is just me, confessions of a pastor. I haven't thought about that a lot lately, but this week I did. I thought about standing before God, thought about giving an account for, 
for this life. The Bible says this in Romans. Paul, he wrote to the church in Rome. So not just the church in, in Philippi, but in the church in Rome, he said, hey guys, remember, like we can forget, see? We can forget. He says, remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. All of us. All of us. He says, for the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every single knee, the rich, the poor, white, black, Hispanic, people in America, people in India. Listen, every single knee, he says, will bow to me, will bow to me. And every single tongue, every language, every tongue will declare allegiance to God. He says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Every one of us, every one of us will stand before God. Like the, the weight of that, I, I, I know it's heavy, but I want you to, I hope you can feel that, that there will come a day where, where you will stand before your creator. And no matter how you have lived your life, if you've been completely autonomous, separate from God, doing your own thing, the Bible says, even you, 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 you will kneel down before him. You will kneel before your creator. Like, you can either choose to kneel now or he will make you kneel then. And, and you and I, we will kneel before him. I imagine we'll probably be bowed down before him. And we will say, you are truly God and I am not. And in that moment, we will give an account. Like we will be held accountable for what we did and how we lived in this life. I've thought about this this week because... I think as you look through scripture and you look through church history, the last couple thousand years, most theologians kind of boil this day of judgment, that day, the day we stand before God, down to really two big questions. Now, this is simplifying this. I'm sure it's a little bit more complex because I am not God. But most theologians will boil this down and distill it down to really two questions. And I'm going to give you the two answers so that you're prepared. I don't know if you were in college or in high school, whatever, but do you, did you like taking tests? Because I didn't. Especially when they gave you that Scantron sheet. Do you remember that thing? It was like overwhelming. Overwhelming. You know, too many options here. I don't like options. My wife, she's like, hey, what do you want to eat tonight? And she gives me 75 options. I'm like, babe, no, just give me one. I don't like a lot of options. But, but in school, I loved it whenever the teacher would give us the answers. Everything that we're going to be testing, she would provide us with the answers. I love it. I love the take-home test. And you kind of work through things. And then that final big test. Well, a, a terrible teacher would hold you accountable for something you didn't know. So today, you just need to know. I'm going to give you the answers to the test. And you're going to be held accountable for what you do with the answers to this test. I took the California uh, driving test last year. And I found out there was a practice test. I took the practice test four or five times. And I did great. And I got my license. And I'm driving legally. Because... I knew it was going to be on the test. Here's the first question that I think that you're going <clears> to, <throat> here's the first question. I think, I think you need to know this. Like, you, you just got to know this. Like, you, you're going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God. And I think this is like the first, I don't know if he's going to ask it like this, but this is the first question. What did you do with my son, Jesus? Every single person is going to have to answer this question. I don't know how exactly God's going to phrase it. I, I, I don't know, like, if, if it's going to be Jesus, if he's going to come up and be like, what'd you do with me? I don't know exactly how it's going to be, but this is the question for every person that has ever lived, right? What about the people before Jesus? I don't know how all that works, but every person is going to stand before God. And based on the revelation of Jesus, the response to him, they're going to give an account 
for that. Uh, someone showed me this picture earlier today, and I thought I would share it to lighten the mood a little bit because you guys seem so intense. Uh, look at this. Let me in. Why? So I can save you. From what? From what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? That's terrible. <clears throat> Thanks, Andy. <clears throat> look at this. What are you going to do with my son Jesus? Look at this. Revelations 20. This is the last book of the Bible. It says, then, this is, this is John, the disciple John. He's writing about a vision that he received. He said, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. This is Jesus. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. It speaks of his sovereignty and his power. And verse 12 says, and I saw the dead, great and small, great and small. It doesn't matter like your background. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are, great and small. Standing before the throne and books, plural, look at this, books were opened and another book. So there's plural books, remember that, and then another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, plural. Um, there is this moment where we stand before God at the great white throne judgment. Every person will stand there, and there is a collection of books. I, I don't know if this is metaphorical or if there's some legitimate books in heaven and somebody's got like a really dope pen and they've been writing and keeping it. I don't know. I know that heaven has a really great bookkeeper, like we know that. Um, but we'll all stand before God, right? And these books are open, and every person gives an account for what they have done, right? All the things we have done, we give an account for. Unless, watch this, so hear me out. Unless you have now been found in Christ and you've, and you've taken Jesus at his word that he is truly the son of God and you've rested your faith in him to save you and forgive you of your sins, the books, plural, is not for you as a Christian. There's a different judgment, but this first one here, the great white throne judgment, the books, the record of all of your sins. Listen, the Bible says in Colossians, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. This is speaking of Christians. For he forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. It's called Christus Victor. It, it is this, is that if you were in Christ, the books, listen, all of those sins, the worst things you've ever done, past, present, future, the worst things, guess what? The blood of Christ is the greatest eraser ever. He erases every one of your sins. As far as the east is to the west, every sin erased when you're in Christ Jesus. What have you done with Jesus? The, the sad part, the bad news is that if we don't put our faith and trust in Jesus, those things remain in those books. And we will give an account for our sin. We will give an account. Matthew 7 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Look at this, on that day, judgment day, on that day, many will say to me, this is so sad, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Like, did we preach? Weren't we preachers? We, we did ministry. Didn't we cast out demons in your name and we did mighty works in your name. We went to church every Sunday. We led a small group. We went through the growth track. 
And then, and, and then will I declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. <laughs> I know you, you, like, you did things for me, but your activity for me replaced intimacy with me. And I never actually knew you. The Greek word there is gnosko. It's where the, the Greeks would use this word for intimacy. This intimate knowing between two people. And Jesus says this, I don't care about all the things you've done for me. I actually wanted you. I wanted to be in a relationship with you. And I wanted you to know me intimately. Gnosko. I wanted you to intimately know me. To know my love for you. To know me not just through a, a priest or a pastor or some clergy. To know me not just through your parents. But I wanted you to know me. What did you do with Jesus? You see... The book of life is separate from the books mentioned in Revelations 20. The book of life is, is reserved for those people who know Jesus. Not just know about him, but know him. The Bible says that your name is written in the book of life, but not everyone will have their name written there. So here's the answer to the question. What did you do with my son, Jesus? I knew him personally. I want every person that comes to our church to be able to say this. That's why the very first thing, look on the wall right there, the very first thing, very first part of our, our vision statement is to know God. We want every person to gnosko, to know God intimately, passionately, relationally, not, not a religion, not a set of moral kind of impositions, but to know Jesus, to know him with all of your heart. What did you do with him? I knew him personally. Here's a second question. I think you're going to be asked and I'm going to be asked, what did you do with what I gave you? It's not just what did you do with Jesus, but what did you and I do with what God entrusted to us? See, life is a stewardship. We are just stewards. Whatever the Lord gives us, whatever the Lord places. No, no, no. I worked hard. I went through college. That's why I got that job. No, no, no. He gave, that, gave you that job. Oh, no, no. I worked so hard. That's why I have this nice house. No, 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 no. God gave you that house. Everything. I mean, I look really good. Look how beautiful my wife is. I worked hard to get my wife. She's a gift. Hey. <laughs> Everything. Your kids, they're a gift. Everything. We've, we've been given these things by God. Listen, even when you begin to see your life as a stewardship, even the pain and the suffering can be a gift. Man, that's not in my notes, but that was good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. What did you do with what I gave you? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said this to the church in Corinth. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, this, this is called bematos is the Greek word. It's where we get the bema seat, right? It's a, it's a tribunal seat. He says, we'll all appear before the bema seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we will stand before God as Christians and we will give an account, not as Christians, not, not for the sins we've committed because at the cross they were canceled. But we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Bematos, it's different from the great white throne. We will stand before the Bema, the Bematos, the throne of God, and we will give an account for what we have done with what he has given us. Now it says whether good or bad. Here's what my personal interpretation of this is. Whether good or bad, what does that mean? Good motives or bad motives? Do you know that you and I, we can actually do good with bad motives? 
we can actually give next week in the legacy offering, we can give with this motive. I just want to feel like I'm, I'm doing good. That's not actually the right motivation. The best motivation is the grace of God and for him to speak to you and you just obey, like Josh said earlier, to obey. You know that we can go and serve at a soup kitchen and we can do it just to kind of make us feel like we're good people, good, like we're just making a difference. That's not the right motivation. The right motivation is obedience to God, obedience to his word, letting his grace and his love flood your heart and you respond. You respond. So, so we will stand before God and we will give an account for the resources he gave us, for the home he gave us, for the spouse he gave us, for the children. For every, we will give an account for those things. What did you do with what I gave you? May we be found faithful. First Corinthians says this, on the day of judgment, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. This is not speaking of hell fire. This is figurative language. Fire tests the quality of, of things, just like precious metals. And it causes the dross to rise to the top to be separated. It says, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, look at this, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will, the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Do you know that even this church... This is why this, this, this is like very dear to, to my heart because everything that we are building here, I will actually stand before Jesus and give an account for. If my motives were to make a name for myself, this whole thing, all of this was for nothing. That doesn't mean that you're for nothing, but, but the work of my hands, what, what I've invested, writing sermons and praying for people, if it was for me to gain a following, if it was for me to make my name great, it will be tested and God will reveal that and it will be a sad day for me. It'll be a very sad, but listen to me. Your job, you may not be a pastor at a church, but your job, where you work, your stewardship of that, do you know that that will be tested on that day? The opportunity that you have right now, how, how, how you're there, not just to make money, but to make a difference. It'll stand in that moment on that day. And my prayer for you and for me is that we'll stand on that day with confidence. Saying, Jesus, I did my very best with what you gave me. With our resources, with our jobs, with our opportunities. Do you know that you and I will even, will even give an account for the opportunities that came our way? The opportunities that he gives us. Those Cairo small moments, those windows of opportunity that come our way. And either in reluctance or in fear, we don't jump through that opportunity that was a God-given opportunity. And we let fear paralyze us. You know that we'll give an account for that. Or that person that's standing beside us at work and they, they, they tell you about it, they're broken and they're crying. They tell you about a diagnosis that they just got and they're in that moment of pain and, and you feel that nudge of the Holy Spirit that says, right now, this is a window. This is a window. Work your window. This is a window of opportunity. Speak to their pain. Speak my truth to their pain. Offer prayer. Those moments, we'll give an account for even those moments. That person that we're in the, in the car with, an Uber driver, and we, we, we sense that we should invite them to church. Guess what? This isn't, I'm not saying this to build this church. I'm, I'm saying this to build you, to prepare you for that day. You'll give an account for that moment. Every one of us will give an account for those moments. Opportunity and the things that he's given us. But I love this. It, there's a weight to this that is heavy, but it's also, it's exciting because Matthew 16 says this. 
For the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they've done. Listen to me. The the people up there right now in the kids' ministry, Jesus is going to come back one day, or they're going to close their eyes on this earth, and they're going to stand before him, and Jesus is going to look at them. And he's going to say, thank you. You you chose not to sit in service and to just receive, but you chose to serve these precious children. And I'm going to reward you for that. God's going to reward every greeter. God's going to reward the dream team that shows up at 5.30, 6 a.m. Josh, God is going to reward you for waking up at 4.30 this morning and driving those trailers to come drop off all this gear. Jesus is going to look at you, if you did it with the right heart. Jesus is going to look at you, and he's going to say, He's, in a, he's not just going to say thank you. He's going to reward you. And, and, and there's many of you, you. Sometimes it's so hard for us to do things for people because we feel like we're, we're not being thanked. Or we're not being recognized. Or we're, being, we're not being rewarded. And, and, and we're just going through the motion. And then sometimes we can get so discouraged that we're like, I'm going to give up. I'm going to stop doing it. But listen, there will come a day, even if no one on this side of heaven says thank you, even if no one sees your generosity, even if no one sees your service, even if no one sees your sacrifice, Jesus sees it. And he will look at you and he says, I'm going to reward you. He's going to give you himself, but I believe that there are going to be rewards. It's called the doctrine of rewards. He's going to reward every one of us for the things that we've done in this life. What did you do with what I gave you? Here's what I want you to be able to say. I want every person that comes to our church through our doors, no matter if it's for one month or 10 years or 20 years, to be able to stand before Jesus and say this, I gave my life away. That's what I want you to say. I want you to be able to look at Jesus with confidence. Say, Jesus, I did my very best. I wasn't perfect, but I did my best to give my life away. Life was not just about me. My job was not just about me. The family you get, it wasn't just about me. You entrusted me with this, and I did my best to give my life away. See, the point of life, I really believe, is this is to know God, this is just as simple as I can put it, to know God personally and simply to make a difference with your life by just giving your life away. Here's the three things I've decided to do with my life because I want to make a difference. Number one, I will intentionally give what I have. I will intentionally give what I have through the church, through tithes and offerings, but also through being generous on the streets. I just want to be intentional with giving. I I, I like God's speaking to this a lot to me right now, not just for our church, but for me personally. Literally, we had a we had a a car filled with with um, with Thanksgiving, beautiful Thanksgiving meals and stuff. And we were driving on the way to some of our friends house. And I saw these homeless people right off of of of, uh, 19th and they're sitting outside of their tents and they had like cans of food eating out of cans. And I was so convicted in my heart. And I wasn't convicted enough to, to stop and give our food away. I kept driving, and I ate that food later. But I thought about it a lot. And I thought about it later that night, and I thought about it the next day. And I thought, God, if you'll give me another window again, maybe, maybe I'll stop and I'll give some of our food away. Like, I, I just, God's working this in my heart. I want to give my life away. I don't want life just to be about me and my stuff and my possessions. Make no mistake about it. I like to eat. I like fashion, I like nice clothes, 
I like nice, nice things, but I don't want to like those things more than I like making a difference with my life and giving my life away. It's okay to have things, just don't let things have you. Can't let things possess us. Goes on and says, 2 Corinthians 9, and I'll hurry. God will make you rich in every way. Do you know that God doesn't want to just make you rich financially? Like, I think that he does want to bless you, but he, he may, you may not ever be rich financially, which I think is very, very kind of subjective, right? I think we're richer than everyone else in the world. But he wants to make you and I rich in every way. It's not just he wants to bring financial increase to your life so you can be a blessing. But in every way, he wants to bless your life. He wants to give you more than what you need. He wants to richly bless every area of your life. Why? So that you can just, just enjoy life, right? So that you can retire early, right? No, so that you can always give freely. And giving, look, and your giving through us will cause many to give thanks to God. Do you know that, that some of you, you may not have a lot of margin in your life, but you're rich in, in talent. I, I'm looking at some of the most talented and beautiful people I've ever seen in my life. Some of you should have said amen right there. I'm trying to compliment you. Beautiful, beautiful people, most of you. <clears throat> but you're rich. I posted a picture with my wife last night from this wedding because we were looking good. And I just put, I'm a rich, rich man. I am. I'm rich in every way. I really feel that. I feel so rich. I don't drive a Tesla, but if you want to give me one, you can. <clears throat> I don't have some massive house, but I feel rich. I feel so blessed in my life. But some of you, you're, you just, you, maybe you've never thought about this. The ability that you have to create environments and, and experiences, some of you, you have that gift. You're rich in creating experiences for people that are memorable. Man, you, some of you, you're rich in, in hospitality. Like, you're just so good at opening up your home or creating a space for people to come in and to connect. You're rich in those ways. You're rich in talent. You're rich. Some of you can sing, and, and, and we don't even know it, but you can sing. You could be, like, up here leading us in worship. You're rich in talent. You're rich in these gifts, and you're rich in every way. I want to I intentionally give my life away. Uh, we talked last week or a couple weeks ago about Financially, you can give strategically, spontaneously, and sacrificially. But I want to encourage you to think of all the different areas that you have been blessed by God and how you can intentionally give those things away. At this church, serving in other nonprofits, we have strategic partners. I think they're listed on our website. Beautiful nonprofits that we partner with. Some of you, you have, you have a gift to teach. You're a teacher. You could go to City Impact. You could go to City Team. You could go to Because Justice Matters. You could go to these places and you could, listen to me, you could actually use that skill to teach, that rich talent and skill to help someone gain understanding and you could teach children. You could teach children in, at the uh, Boys and Girls Club. You could teach, like, you're rich. You gotta see it. You're rich. You're so rich. I think about Teen Challenge, some of my, my fellows that are here today that, come on, why don't we clap our hands for the guys that are here today from Teen Challenge. I think about, about my man, Stephen. I don't know if he's here or not, but Stephen, Stephen, you over here? I think, I think about you, Stephen. I, th I think about how, how you're so rich in creativity and wisdom and leadership, and you could, you could just go and find some job doing whatever else you want to do, but you've invested your life in these men at Teen Challenge. You're giving your life away because you're rich. You see the riches, rich, richness that God has placed in your life, and you're giving your life away. Second one is I will intentionally serve others. There's a great scripture in Matthew 20 that says you can be great because you can serve. Dr. Martin Luther King said that anyone can be great because anyone can serve. 
You can intentionally serve others. You can join our dream team and serve here, serve Saturdays. We have some great outreaches that are coming up December the 15th, I think December the 22nd. We're going to be partnering with Mobilize Love. Listen, you may not have, you may not, you literally may not have a lot of money. You may not have a lot of margin financially, but I tell you what, you could use your touch. Not just your treasures, you could use your touch by going and, and just shaking someone's hand, hugging someone, looking at someone that is disadvantaged in their life that feels like they have no dignity and you can look at them in their eyes and tell them you are not forgotten. And God does love you. You can serve people, intentionally serve. And then the last one is this, you can intentionally share Christ. This is a decision I've made. I will intentionally give, I will intentionally serve, and I will intentionally share Christ. There's some of you, you need to know this, there's some people that are in your life, family and friends, coworkers, that they will never, ever, ever meet another Jesus, another person representing Jesus, maybe other than you. I want to, as a pastor, not trying to build this church, but trying to, to share with you an opportunity. What I think God wants to do is partner with you to share Christ. There are people in this season, you know more people commit suicide after Thanksgiving through, through Christmas than any other time of the year. There could be people at your work, people at your school that you're with, and they're going through a tough time. And what I've found is when people are in pain, a lot of times it's one of the best opportunities for God and for, through the Holy Spirit to do a work in their heart for them to come to faith in Christ. God could use you to share Jesus, the hope of Jesus with those people. It may not be someone that's depressed or suicidal or, or those things. It may just be someone that is super rich, maybe someone that has everything, but they don't have Jesus, so they have nothing. And God wants to use you to share Christ with them. Maybe you're like, how do I do that? Listen, just share your story before Jesus, when you, how you met Jesus, and what Jesus has done in your life. And if that's just too much of a challenge for you, listen, just invest and invite. Invest and invite. Invest your life into those people and just invite them to come here. If you don't feel like you're equipped to share the gospel with them, trust me, I will. I will share Jesus with them. You just get them to come here. I want you to know the joy of sitting in, the, sitting in one of these seats and waiting for your friend to show up to church. The one that you swear, they, they swear that you're a little crazy. You're a touch crazy. They see you at work and they, they see you pray over your meal or they, they hear you, you, know, you listen to a little bit of worship, which I can't wait till we write an album and you're singing our songs. Come on, just a little, dropping a little thing there for you, just encouragement, just nudging you a little bit, just write a little something. But, and you have friends that work with you or family members that they think you're a little touch crazy because of this whole Jesus thing or whatever. But I can't wait, I can't wait for that day for you when, when you've invited them, you've invited them, invited them, and finally they're like, fine, I'll come check it out. And you're kind of you're sitting in here waiting, they're not here yet, and then all of a sudden they come in, your heart starts pounding, you're sweating a little bit, you get little red splotchies. And you're thinking, God, I hope Elton doesn't sing any of those bad songs, the weird ones about like wind and fire and earthquakes and stuff. <laughs> like, don't sing any of those, Elton, because they don't understand that. And like the wine, like wine coming out of us, what does it even mean? Are we about to all drink wine today? What's going on? Let's just sing some easy stuff, easy stuff, you know. And, and then you start thinking, man, I hope, I hope Jason's preaching. You better say that, right? <laughs> I hope it's not a guest, you know. I hope it's Jason preaching. And then, and, and then you're sitting there thinking, oh, God, I hope he doesn't talk about giving today. I hope, oh, you know, they, they, you know. Just, just talk about Jesus, Jason. Just talk about Jesus, you know. And you're sitting there and you're sweating it. You're not hearing anything. You're, you're, not, you're not engaged in worship because you're like. Because you don't want to think you're too crazy, right? And you're, you're thinking, I hope Teresa doesn't say amen too loud, you know. 
I don't want them to think we're crazy here. And then at the end of the message, at the end of the message, we, we, we pray and we say, today you want to give your life to Jesus. And you're just, you, I, I hope you get the thrill of that moment where you're just wondering, I wonder, I wonder if God's speaking to him. I, w- I wonder if today's the day. I wonder if all those invitations and all those prayers, everything, I wonder if today is the payoff where they're going to know God and they're going to start the journey. I want you to have that experience because it's unbelievable. First Timothy says this, and I'll finish. Command those who are rich in this present world. Paul said this to Timothy, a pastor. He says, a pastor, you need to command. Don't just encourage, command. Command those who are rich in this present world. This present world implies that there's another world to come. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Look, for our enjoyment, so we can enjoy things. Right? It's not a poverty gospel. But he said, I want you to command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, look at this, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, that's eternity, so that they, they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, there's more to this life than this life. Leland Pendant in this song called For Your Glory says, we have only one life and it soon will pass and only what's done for Christ will last. Jesus, you can use me. Riches and houses, cars and lands will all pass away, but my life will stand. Jesus, you can use me for your glory, for your glory, for your glory. You can use me. We say, yes, Lord. We say, yes, Lord. We say, yes, Lord. You can use me for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.